live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday to my left, he is the former Ford Chief for then Minority Leader Gerald R. Ford, former Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation. He's Bob Hines. Hi, Bob. I'm fine, but how did I get here on the left side? I don't know, but that's <laughs> funny you should ask that. To my, I guess it would be 11 o'clock, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing the 2nd Congressional District of Washington State. He is... Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. How do you do? And to my 1130, he is the Admiral from your United States Navy. He is Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral Ken. Hello, Justin. And to my 1230, she is the former General Counsel for the House Homeland Security Committee under Benny Thompson, Obama Administration appointee. She is Denise Krep. Hello, Denise. Hey, Justin. And to my 1 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer and longtime Washington Senator Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, gang. And to my right, he is the former Joe Biden political operative, Democratic political genius, and bar certified <laughs> and bar certified attorney of the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is Dan Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. Would have been more convincing if you didn't get the air quotes around you. Really, I probably shouldn't do that. It kind of takes away from stuff. Uh, hey, our uh, regular contributor, John Allen, is on his way. He's stuck in traffic. It's D.C. That happens. Uh, let's start about tonight, in case you haven't heard or don't care. Uh, down in Farmville, Virginia, there's a debate going on. And you think, wow, what could possibly be better than the first Trump-Clinton debate? Well, uh, the debate commission's given us um, Governor Pence and Governor Kane. So, all the excitement surrounding the VP debate tonight. Boring. We didn't say that. We didn't say that. Um, Congressman Al, what are you looking forward to on this? Well, I think it's going to be much more like the other debates that we've had in the past. I mean, He's, traditional with fact, not I, blowing I think up. So. The problem is that. Pence has got to defend some pretty wild things that his his leader, Donald Trump, has said, and that's going to make him say some things that I suspect he wouldn't say if it was just by himself. Uh, not that he's not conservative, but he's not crazy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think it will be less exciting in that sense, because I don't think anybody's going to... Uh, be doing anything like getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and sending tweets. Admiral Ken. Tim Kaine, on the other hand, um, is going to have to find some way to discuss 
the uh, foreign policy that's been in place for the last eight years. Um, he is going to have to find some way to uh, talk about the fact that uh, the email controversy and the, um, the, the, I guess, the appendages of that are still hanging on. Uh, we'll talk about things like staffers' uh, emails getting exposed to WikiLeaks and uh, uh, Blackberry's getting pressed by hammers. So I think there's enough on both sides for these guys to keep the, uh, the conversation interesting without it becoming too boring. Now, here's the big thing about this is uh, Alan Moore, right now, Tim Kaine literally has to just try and keep the momentum, try and keep some semblance of excitement surrounding what Hillary's done post-last debate. Uh, is that his big mission goal, or is there something else that can help solidify positioning for Hillary? So I think what you can expect to see tonight is, is, is a lot of pivoting. Questions will come to Kane about, about Clinton Kane. Questions will come to Pence about Trump Pence, and they will, they will give lip service to the question, and then they will pivot to attacking the opposition. I think Kane will spend a lot of time trashing Trump. There's a lot of material he has to use, and he will try to use it and try to stay focused. Pence will not have to spend enormous amounts of time defending and explaining the unexplainable, which is his running mate, but instead will spend, I think, a lot of time taking on Hillary in a more systematic way than Donald Trump was able to do last Monday because Trump was so diverted um, to, uh, to the, took the bait that, that Hillary Clinton took and really didn't get around to emails and, uh, and Clinton Foundation and other issues that I think we'll probably hear some about tonight, not to mention foreign policy as the Admiral said. Dan Littner. So a couple of things. One, Pence has already shown his hand on how he deals with Trump. Is he politely says he disagrees on things he disagrees with and goes off on his more traditional conservative bit. Uh, Tim Kaine, while a, a nice guy, has been a nominal attack dog because the top bolt tickets have just drenched the news coverage. And by the end of it, I think the only takeaway is there are going to be a lot of undecided voters wishing that both those candidates were the top of the ticket. But, I mean, Denise, right now, is there a lot of pressure on Tim Kaine to really make Pence look more like Trump? No. I, I mean, we, we've already talked about the fact that Pence is not Trump. Pence is sitting next to Trump. Pence is apologizing a lot for what Chip says. I think at this point in time, it's let's see how many pot shots we can throw. But do I think this is going to be a serious debate? No, because everybody's waiting for the next one between Donald and Hillary. Dan, you disagree. I just don't think there's going to be any there's going to be any excitement there. I mean, most candidate most people in in the country can't name the bottom of the ticket at all. I think this is. I mean, I don't have any numbers to back this, but I suspect this might be an all-time low for knowing who the bottom of of, of both. Uh, tickets are on, on, at least in my lifetime. I well, can think of no time MSNBC, in my life that MSNBC, MSNBC did a very unscientific poll in people in Times Square in Manhattan and New York, and only 15% of the people could identify either Tim Kaine or Mike Pence or both. Which does that? Is, should that be disturbing? Yeah, it should be disturbing. I mean, as Alan Gottlieb points out, the low information voters. And the nonsense that came out of the first debate that you essentially that you have one candidate who was rattling off 
just utter nonsense, and that being Donald Trump, and the other one rattling off more traditional political attacks, thanks to the nonsense that the other candidate was throwing out there. You had no discussion of policy, and you worse yet, you don't have a discussion of even the people at play. Congressman Al, does anybody remember who Barry Goldwater's vice presidential candidate was? Some of us weren't born, Congressman. Uh, well, I think he was. You're bragging about. Uh, I, I, I think he was. He, he was probably less of a figure than than either of these guys. Chuck Miller was the name. Right. Nasty little congressman from New York. That was that was civil <laughs> congressman Denise Krupp. What I find fascinating is that. This is in Farmville, Virginia. And for those of you who um, don't know anything about the area, it's, it's in a very rural part of Virginia, and it has a fascinating history. The fascinating history is that uh, for five years, uh, right after Brown versus Board of Education, Farmville's uh, African-American children didn't go to school. So what I would find of interest is if they were to ask the vice presidential candidates, given what happened here after Brown versus Board of Education, and given what Donald Trump is saying, how do both candidates view both race relations in uh, the country right now? Bob Allen, the question also comes up here is Bob Allen, two different people. Bob Hines, from a, from a GOP standpoint, is there is there any pressure on Pence to make his ticket and his prime candidate look more, I don't know, sane? Well, I hope, I hope they're saying. Uh, and I think you know, the vice presidential candidate is, is, is not a very significant you know, situation unless, unless somebody dies. And I think he's, he's a good man. He's smart. He's intelligent. Uh, he is not, uh, he's not flamboyant. He's not, he's not someone that I probably think most uh, of the American citizens, the voting citizens, wouldn't even know his name. Well, I, I want to, but he's he's a good, solid political. I, I, I want to take a couple of minutes and, and actually talk about who these two men are. Uh, John Allen, uh, Mike Pence, uh, former congressman uh, from Indiana, uh, the former just recently unseated governor of Indiana. Although I guess he still no, he's, still a, he's still seated as the governor. Uh, Mike Pence was known as not making or not having a lot of friends. He 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 was kind of a beating to his own drum. Uh, is is that reputation inside the Beltway? Could that possibly help him or hurt him outside the Beltway? I know Mike Pence. <laughs> Mike <laughs> Pence is a friend of mine. You know. <laughs> You're probably uh, the only person I know that said that. I, I like Mike Pence a lot, actually. Uh, I've known him for about 13 years. Um, and what I like about him is that the he was not always this way. In his first race, he was, uh, you know, he went negative. But this is a guy who actually does go high when others go low. Whatever you think of his, his uh, you know, his policy brand and the issues that he pushes, this is a guy who genuinely conducts himself well in politics, in so many ways the opposite of Donald Trump, including being a conservative <clears throat> in his core. Uh, and I think he's got a real opportunity tonight to articulate the actual Republican position on issues and to do so in a way that is, even if a little bit um, snooze-inducing, 
uh, <laughs> uh, in a way that is uh, relatable to voters uh, beyond that, which you know Donald Trump does. As far as his friendships in Washington, I, I would liken it to uh, probably not as bad of a case of, uh, Ted Cruz. of Ted Cruz or Jimmy Carter with their sort of moral superiority and their taking the high ground against people and making people dislike them for that reason. But look, I think Mike Pence rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, because he told the Republican Party that it wasn't keeping to its virtues and keeping to its ideals uh, in, during the first term of George W. Bush. And the truth was, it wasn't. George W. Bush was a big government Republican, and it was angering the people outside of Washington. Like Mike Pence. Like Mike Pence and the people that support him. So, you know, he had a pretty loyal and committed group of friends in Congress, and I would never go to the place and say nobody liked him. But Alan Moore, at the same time, this is a guy who, in his own state as governor, was in serious trouble in his reelection bid for governor. Uh, people I've talked to in Indianapolis have said that it wasn't a guarantee he was even going to win re-election as governor. Uh, is, is that something that he can overcome in his own state to help deliver Indiana for Trump? I think that he will be able to. I think that Trump will win Indiana, whether one could say Pence delivered it, delivered it or not. I think Pence was in pretty good shape because the economy of Indiana was in such good shape. He, he, he had a major screw-up over, over a, 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 the public a, unions. A, well, a gay rights issue that, that, that almost exploded in Indiana's face as people said, wait a minute, we're going to cancel big meetings here, like you're now seeing in, in, uh, in North Carolina. And Pence turned around and said, we need to fix this uh, and fixed it. Um, so I, I, think he's, I think he's solid in Indiana. What he does do in, in other parts of the country, at least not that they matter anymore, but among more conventional Republicans, is that he provides a level of comfort that he's experienced, knowledgeable, and right on issues that Republicans have have traditionally felt strongly about, some of the social issues and so on. This election has obviously turned all of that upside down, and there's a whole bunch of, of powerful Trump supporters who say, we don't care about any of that stuff. Admiral Ken, does Mike Pence's message get lost in the noise of Donald Trump? Um, I like to think that Pence is smarter than that. Um, and I, I was sitting, as, a, as I was listening to some of the commentary around the table, it, it dawned on me, both of these guys have got the same challenge. They are playing to that undecided, those still yet undecided uh, set of voters. And um, if anything, Pence, Pence is going to have to find some, some way of making the, the Republicans who have not yet uh, joined the Trump train think that, okay, maybe this wouldn't be so bad if, if, if Pence is, is here. Likewise, Tim Kaine's got to do the same kind of service for Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, Donald Trump in the last week or so, I, I think, has kind of outdone himself with regard to the rhetoric, with regard to the former Miss Universe and a couple of other things. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how um, how he basically tries to to, to speak to that message that, uh, that uh, Alan uh, was, was, was talking about a moment ago and be able to, again, deliver that to, to the people who want to hear something a little bit more stable. Alan Moore. And, and to those who say, ho-hum, nobody's going to watch, people can't even name these guys, I want to read a list of names from my lifetime of people who were, uh, were vice presidents of the United States. Okay? Yeah. Harry Truman, 
Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, Hubert Humphrey, Bob Dole. Bob Dole was not vice president, but it was a candidate, candidate, for, candidate vice. for vice president. Uh, uh, Walter Mondale, George H.W. Bush, and Al Gore. They were all candidates for vice president or served as vice presidents. The, the, the best predictor of who will be a candidate for presidency or president is vice is, is having served as being uh, either served as vice president or even being a candidate for vice president. This is an important role, an important position people take over the over the long trajectory of, of American history. It matters. Is, is Mike Pence setting himself up for a possible 2020? I, I don't know that he is. My, 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 I'm not trying to predict that particularly as much as to point out that who runs for vice president is relevant. Who serves as vice president is relevant in, in, in helping guess at who might be a presidential candidate or president down the road. John Allen. Uh, Elaine Kmark at the Brookings Institution recently put out a report uh, some of you may be familiar with her. She's a senior policy advisor to Al Gore in the White House and is generally one of the more thoughtful people about governance. She did the Reinventing Government Initiative for him. And what she said was there has been a transition in the role of the vice presidential candidate that matches the transition in the role of the vice president, which is we used to look for balance on a ticket. president would look for balance. Uh, John F. Kennedy is a liberal from uh, Boston. He goes and finds Lyndon Johnson. Uh, the more conservative, moderate guy from Texas. Uh, Ronald Reagan needed the moderates uh, in the Republican Party. He went and got George H.W. Bush, uh, who he hated and who hated him. Uh, but what you've gotten now in the last couple of, uh, of cycles and really since that Bill Clinton-Now World Partnership is somebody who, who the presidential candidate believes reinforces what they're doing and would be a good partner for them for four years in the White House. And I think that's why you see maybe the Dick Cheney or the Joe Biden, the kind of folks who won't necessarily be uh, on a president. Down the road, later. yeah. Uh, Dan Lipner. Well, yeah, well, it, the Joe Biden item, obviously he would have run had what uh, Joe Biden's um, death not occurred. Um, but the two uh, names that were left off of, of Allen's list are Dan Quayle and Sarah Palin. And that's pretty much the goal of the vice presidential nominee is to not be that, not be the drag on the ticket. Well, and I didn't I mean, mention John Edwards either. And John know, Edwards the, wasn't a drag on the ticket. I mean, there, there, he was it, a drag on the party afterwards. No, no, that, that, that was an after the fact. <laughs> but the first job of the VP candidate is do no harm. If there's anything else that comes after that, that's found money. John Edwards was uh, Bernie Sanders in the Brooks Brothers suit. I mean, he came in in 2008 as a, as a legitimate candidate for the Democratic nomination. All right. Yeah. Denise Krepp, you disagree. John Edwards is wise. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true. That, 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 that came afterwards. That came afterwards. No, no. She thinks Bernie's slime, too. Yeah, no, no. I highly respect Bernie Sanders because, A, he's of his ethics and his family values, and I will use those words in comparison to John Edwards, and what he did to his wife. So, no. He's flying the only cat. Okay. I didn't mean, no, 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 no. like 2000, like after we found out John Edwards. I mean, no. coming out of 2004, John Edwards is driving a populist message. Right. That no, 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 no. no. See, that's I'm with, from North Carolina. He was an asset in before. Sorry. He was an unprecedented individual. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. prior to 2004 and he was a donkey afterwards. All right. 
I and thought then, it was a donut. We can do we can do that all day long too. We can do that all day long. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Tim Kaine. Because Tim Kaine has a little different kind of track on this. Congressman Al, Tim Kaine was very popular as a mayor of Richmond, very popular still as the governor of Virginia, and still highly popular as a, a seated senator for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, does he add any solid ground to Hillary? Can he put more distance between Hillary and Tim King versus Trump and Pence? Well, to your last part of the question, I think it remains to be seen. But I think what he's got is, is he's, he comes across like an everybody and kind of a nice guy everybody. Uh, I think it's harder to tackle, to paste on him elitist than it is any of the other four candidates. Uh, so I think he's going to be helpful to the ticket uh, to to the extent that a vice presidential candidate well, can be helpful. Dan Lindner. Well, and that's the thing with, with Kane, more so than Pence, and this is now the balancing of the ticket and what you provide electorally. I mean... Kennedy and Johnson were not fans of each other. Johnson was added to the ticket to make sure he delivered Texas. And in much a similar case, that Kane is widely liked. He doesn't he does no harm. And it's also more importantly, liked in a swing state that he came out of no place to win the governorship the first time around, ironically because he was attacked on his Catholic faith being against the death penalty, helped turn that election to win him the governorship. And he has maintained that kind of ethical consistency as much as you can within politics. And I think he executed about 11 people while he was governor. As much as you can within politics. And he, let's see, he, I think governors have pardon, pardon powers, powers too. But yeah. never mind. Yeah, yeah, never, mind. never mind that. But, but, but it does bring up a good point. Uh, John Allen, when we, when we talk about Tim Kaine, uh, Tim Kaine actually is a good while Hillary was in bed with uh, pneumonia. Uh, in bed with what? With, in bed with who? No, 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 no. In bed with pneumonia. She oh, was okay. She was sick. No, she was bitch. sick. She was sick. <laughs> and you don't get on him for that? You don't get on him for that? Oh, come on. John Allen, uh, while Hillary was recovering from pneumonia, Tim Kaine was a good surrogate. Uh, is, is this something that can help uh, give Hillary a little bit more breathing room as far as the need to be on the road, etc. Hillary Clinton destroyed Donald Trump in that debate. The the percentage of people who are going to vote for Hillary Clinton, uh, vote for Donald Trump in this uh, election are roughly equal to the percentage of people who hate Hillary Clinton and would vote to not have a president rather <laughs> than have Hillary Clinton as president. I don't think anything Tim Kaine does tonight, other than literally other than stumble over his own feet, drool on the ground, and start singing the praises of Karl Marx, is going to have any effect on the presidential race whatsoever. Most Americans would think they're beating with Groucho Marx. It is more likely that the latest Guccifer hack of the Clinton Foundation uh, will have uh, an effect on this election than, uh, than Tim Kaine tonight. Although, uh, by the way, yeah. he will competently acquit himself. Uh, and in doing so, we'll probably do some outreach to Latino and African-American voters. And that will be somewhat surprising. And my guess is a lot of it will be done with dog whistles. They're not immediately uh, apparent to 
to the viewing public, uh, necessarily the independents and to the media. Just, oh, I know. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Does Tim Kaine do this already this year? Does Tim Kaine answer a question partially in Spanish tonight? Absolutely. 100% oh, yes, but guys, we got to be careful <laughs> when, we use, when we use the word dog whistle. Why? Be careful. Why? Be sensitive. It's a dog. Is that phrase a code for something else? Something else? I certainly didn't intend it as such. I, I simply I, mean that he would be delivering messages. But it's used in media all the time. Intended for audiences that are yeah. not. Yeah. Robert is speaking in, in, in Philadelphia, Mississippi with a dog whistle. Design, very distinctly. So I mean, like, that, I mean, that, uh, so I'm unclear. What I'll, give example, I'll give you an example of talking about. Tim Kaine went down went down to Florida uh, earlier this year and said uh, that we need to follow that North Star. And he was at a, a historically black college. Right. North Star, obviously, for people that know about this, is the what people following the Underground Railroad right. trying to to get to right. freedom and following. Yeah. This is a message that yeah. did not yeah. hit the ears of the media, which didn't really report on it. Right. Uh, didn't. But the, it, it, to those that mattered, it hit strong. To those Tim, Kane, they know. Tim Kane knows the language. Right. So here's the here's the question then: Is is there any is there anything that Mike Pence can do subtly? to try and get in with women, minorities, LBGT community? Admiral Ken. It depends on how he answers that question or a question uh, along those lines from the moderator. I suspect what will happen is someone will ask the question, so your candidate um, has made some fairly interesting comments with regard to women and minorities. Um, you know, What are your thoughts on this issue? At that point, if, if Mike Pence doesn't find a, a, a message or the right words, then the answer to your question is no. I mean, but we're obviously tonight, uh, Alan Moore, we're, you know, we won't hear that, you know, minorities live on one road in Chicago called Hell Street, and they live in hovels and horrible places. We're not going to hear Rosie O'Donnell's name brought up uh, tonight. I would, I would not by hope. Pence. Not by Pence. I would hope. Uh, <laughs> Is there any risk for Pence that he could go really against the grain to show disbalance in the Trump-Pence camp? No, he's been asked in, uh, time and again to try to defend the Trump comment. And I think he's he's in a fairly comfortable place. He, he would say, on occasion, I, I don't agree with that, or I wouldn't put it that way, or... I don't like to do name-calling and go negative. Now, that's going to be the challenge tonight, to talk about Hillary Clinton without, in, in, in a careful way to say, look, I respect her history, but I'm very concerned about these foreign policy issues, about emails, FBI report, Clinton Foundation. He doesn't have to trash her. All he has to do is feed those doubts that are already out there that Trump did not bring up last week. Dan Lindner. Right. So that's the thing that you have to realize that, and Alan kind of alluding to it, that both candidates are speaking to different goals. Clinton's, Clinton's electoral goal at the moment is excitement. She is lacking it. The base isn't there. And now turnout, there's a question about growing, growing the turn, growing the actual numbers of the constituency is no longer an issue. That, that split has occurred 
and the, the people who are with her are with her. The question is whether or not enough of them get from point A to point B on election day. The Trump tense numbers are a little bit different. Trump has a solid block of people, the half of which are the the deplorables who aren't leaving. And then there's the some other the, the not Hillary folks. There's some overlap, but they actually have the issue of actually wanting to grow the electorate because they they've lost some traditional Republicans. And there's there's another set of working but, folks that it's not quite clear. And this is for Bob Foden State in Ohio, while inexplicably in my mind, Trump is winning Ohio, but there are other places that they need to grow the electorate or at least grow their grow what areas they're reaching out to, and it's not quite clear how the bottom of the ticket does you, that. You dropped your bucket for the deplorables right here on the floor, just so you know. It's a basket. It's a, ba- it's a basket. basket of deplorables. Denise Kraft. The average size of an American woman these days is about a size 12, is not a size 14. And God love them. Exactly. And Donald Trump's statement regarding this universe is reverberating, and it continues to reverberate. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week. But that is winning Hillary votes, and she's answering questions about that statement. And that is also generating the excitement that we have not had in a while. Admiral Ken, Hillary Clinton cannot win unless uh, she has got a good turnout from the women that Denise just spoke of, as well as black and Latino voters in this country. Um, I, don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think she's quite there with, with the black vote as much as I think she'd like to think that she is. She has not generated that same level of excitement that President Obama did in his first term, uh, the election for his first term, or his second. She needs that kind of turnout or something close to it in order to, in order to push this over the top. And she needs to do something between now and uh, Election Day uh, to basically change the narrative. Because, quite frankly, you know, I don't think most black voters really care about um, what Donald Trump does or what he says. I mean, if, 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 again... He's got his block of voters, and that's, you know, but engaging in a negative uh, uh, comment, uh, comment after comment about Donald Trump is not going to do her any good. With the John, Al- John Allen, is Clinton Foundation, State Department, WikiLeaks, Benghazi, are these landmines for Tim Kaine? No. No, why? So, for, so first of all, the, the thing that Tim Kaine has to do is essentially what Hillary Clinton did in the first debate when some of these things came up, which is to have the shortest answer possible. No benefit in fighting over it. Right. Right? So if you're Tim Kaine, you say, look, the FBI investigated the email. They decided not to prosecute. She said it was a mistake. Yeah, but they also said that your presidential candidate lied as per FBI Director James Comey. He didn't say she lied. lied. Only Justin said she lied. (laughs) Well, and and every other Republican. What he said is that there were things that she – what he said was she, she had said at one point that there was no classified material in her email. Right. It later turned out that there was classified information in her email. That is different than lying, particularly okay. different. And we've got lawyers at this table. It is different to uh, say something that you know to not be true. What is misinformation? What is perjury? It's called intent. It's called intent. And what and what the what the Justice Department looked at, or what the FBI clearly looked at, was is there intent this. here? I'm not doing this, Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken is ready to choke right now. I, now, Admiral Ken, I gotta go to break. Okay. I gotta go to break. I'm sorry, Admiral Ken. I'm not going down email. We'll I'm not. Talk, I'm we'll not, talk. We'll not. talk. We'll talk about it when we talk about Hillary Clinton. Okay. 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 We'll come back to it. We'll come back. This is uh, Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington D.C. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. Admiral Ken.
You know, Shelly's Backroom has been hosting Backroom Politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelly's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelly's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails, and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be. Of having a sex tape to 
just which, crazy which, things. Which did you sexually reveal that Trump was in a Playboy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was not a sex tape. That was soft pork. If you'd like to see naked <laughs> pictures of Donald Trump's wife, I can tell you. No, I mean, <laughs> no, no. Actually, I don't have to sell you some. They're out on the internet. They're free and available. Yeah, they were on the front page of the New York Daily News and the New York Post. But God love them. I mean, my God. But <laughs> but here's the question: Is Congressman Al, you came from a time and ran for office where there wasn't social media. It was retail politics. Now the advent of social media. If you are if you are advising a presidential candidate to use social media effectively, which I know you don't do, but would you not tell him don't say stupid stuff, don't tweet out your own crap? Of course, because it's the same thing as is putting a dirty word on a yard sign and putting it in people's yards. I mean, to use the old style of campaigning, you wouldn't do that. Well. If you modernize your techniques, you still don't say things like that. I mean, but and, but it's, go ahead. But it's, it's also not just the tweet storm that he did. He followed it up when he called into Fox and Friends a day or two later. He doubled down on all of it. It's it's the whole thing is utterly inexplicable. But I, go ahead, Admiral. I, I think we're missing the point. So yeah. All these things that everybody has said is true, myself included, with regard to the shock and awe at the things Donald Trump has said, both in his tweets, in debates, in the interviews, you name it. For whatever reason, this has gotten this man the Republican Party nomination. If anyone thinks that it's going to stop between now and Election Day, you're fooling yourself. Well, that's also that's more disturbing. I mean, essentially, he said no fat chick. Let's be clear on why he said no fat And I think, quite frankly, if Hillary Clinton really, really wants to win this thing, don't play his game. Don't play his game. What? Bob Wines? He said that silly. He says such silly things. It's amazing to me. I, I cannot understand how anybody who thinks he's... Uh, presidential candidate could act like he does. I just don't understand it. Well, we know he's a buffoon. What's troubling me right now is that the senior Republican leadership in the Senate and the House have not come yeah. out and said no. Yeah. You know. yeah, and they should. And, and they should. And, and you know what? How, how do you look to your wife, gentlemen, and say, it's okay what he's saying. I don't think, I'm not going to come out and say that, but it's okay for him to say that. Well, you can't do that. Yep. Alan Moore first. In the position well, he's in. Yeah, we've, we've been up there before uh, talking about lecturing Republican leaders on how they should completely disavow, disassociate uh, themselves from Trump and, and condemn him. Um, unfortunately, politics is a little more complicated than that. And these people are trying to survive. They're trying to keep the majority. They're trying to walk this narrow walk. I don't see any Republicans who are elected saying, oh, yeah, I agree with Trump about his comments about Miss Universe. Oh, but I know. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 that's what I'm thinking. No, no, Kelly Ayotte did not say that I agree with Trump. Kelly Ayotte got put in a really awkward position in her debate the other night when the moderator asked, do you think Donald Trump is a role model? She tapped the around as best she could, but she came out and said yes. And then and she did. and then she disavowed it the before the day was over. But she so, said yes. But and she, that's what's now wait a minute. Wait a minute. She okay. talked about him as a role model. She didn't say 
I agree with everything this guy has ever said. There's a huge difference there. And I didn't particularly like her first answer, and neither did she, which is why she disavowed it before the, b- before the day was out. When you blindly follow a leader and support a leader because he says he's taking you in the right direction or he's your nominee or whatever, and you look around, and a good number of the people in the crowd, once you've had the blindfold taken off, are wearing white sheets. Maybe you ought to leave the meeting. But, but here's the question, though. This has got to put the GOP leadership, everybody from Reince Priebus to Speaker Ryan to uh, Mitch McConnell, this has got to make everybody very, very uncomfortable. How do the top three Republicans in Washington balance this? John Allen? They don't. Look, Mitch McConnell has played this brilliantly. I don't know how he's done it, but he's managed to not be the guy that gets asked about it. I think it's because he doesn't have a press conference every day. But basically, Mitch McConnell has not said anything publicly that I can remember about Donald Trump in six or eight months. I mean, the guy has brilliantly not had to separate himself or embrace Donald Trump, except for the one moment where he said, of course, But could the silence be construed as support, Ellen Moore? It is support. It is support. But at least it's quiet support. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, it's, it's, you know, we, we, before AI got into this little thing um, yesterday yeah, or day before, um, the position she was taking, which is a, is a hard, is a difficult one, is I will vote for him, but I will not endorse him. And that's the dilemma that these folks, they don't want to associate themselves with all the crap that he constantly spews that makes Republicans so uncomfortable and, and disgusted, but he is also the nominee of their party and has an enormous following, and they need the votes of those people who, who, nominated, uh, who nominated the guy. So they're trying to not associate themselves with him and his crazy ideas and his offensive ideas without turning off all these voters who they desperately need if they're going to be reelected. So and, you know crap. and you've now killed the Republican Party because you failed to stand up. You well, may have saved your neck in 2016, but come 2018, come 2020, do you think people are going to forget? Yes, I do. Yeah, of course right. they are. They always do. The solution is every Republican elected to office should say, I'm not voting for Trump. I'm voting for Hillary. No, and you seem to think that would be helpful to the Republican what Party. What I said was you've got to stand up to Trump and say what you're saying is wrong, it's illogical, it's mean, it's vile, and that only hurts the American population, but it hurts the Republican Party. And then, the and then, people, and then if you do that, people like Paul Ryan, people like uh, uh, the, um, the Majority Leader McCarthy, they get unelected because they're shown to be turncoats and in their party. And get a backbone and stand up, and folks. They, but backbone. then the people that we need in the House, that doesn't make logic. And you know what? What you need is leadership, and right now you don't have it. Well, then where's the Democratic leadership saying that, uh, you know, Hillary's comments regarding the emails were completely without basis or fact. Her, 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 her handling of other issues has been questionable. There are other – we can do the same thing on both sides. And I agree with you. There are problems on both sides. But you know what? Emails are emails. What he's saying, fat females – you would lock up all folks that are Muslim, and you build a wall to make sure Hispanics don't come in. 
do we want to live in that country? First, he's going to develop a junta and round up everyone who's of uh, Mexican <laughs> descent who looks like they're. I'm not joking about it. No, I'm shocked that the Clinton campaign has not referred to his deportation task force as a junta because that's essentially what it is uh, to deport these people. So I think that's important as, as a predicate for all of what you're saying. But the interesting thing to me about Kelly Ayotte, and I really like Kelly Ayotte, and I think she's a great political. Uh, yeah. She's got a great political future if she wins the Senate race and uh, is extremely talented. Maybe even if she doesn't win the race. Um, the problem with Kelly Ayotte and others who are in this position of saying they're voting for Donald Trump but they're not endorsing him is they sound like John Kerry saying, I voted for it before I voted against it. It sounds so namby-pamby, whatever. It's squishy. Just pick a side. Congressman Al, there's a political reality here that I, I think I can understand the situation in which the Republican leadership finds itself and why it doesn't do what we've been talking about. Namely, it didn't do it soon enough. You know, and you can even forgive them for that. There was nobody sitting around this table with, that saw what Donald Trump was going to turn into when it would have it would have it would have no, Keep going, no, Congressman. Keep going. You are absolutely right. So go ahead. Keep going. We all kind of hooted at and, and, and laughed at him and so forth. And then suddenly he, he's there. Now, at that point, they could have killed this baby in the bathwater, you know, if, if they'd taken him on way back. Figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next people are still around. But, uh, <laughs> but to do so now, they're, they're too deep into the election. It would it would just shatter the whole Republican Party uh, down down ballot, and they can't do it. Well, does does Donald Trump pose a reality to the Republican Party and the Republican National Committee right now, Bob Hines, that dictates it is time for a leadership change? Rice's run. Rice Priebus, the chairman of the RNC, has run his course. We need now new vision, new blood. And could it happen? I don't think it can happen. Why? Because it would, it would blow the election just up in the air. Everything would go nuts. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about inside the Republican Party. I'm talking about replacing rights and the Republican National Committee leadership. No. No. No, no, or, no, no. even down... Even after the election. Afterwards. Yeah. Right. No, 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 Not now. Not now. I'm well, talking you, about right. very right. imprecise in it. Oh, oh excuse that's, me. Well, that's what I no, no, Okay. It's what we all thought you said, Justin. Let me rephrase. Sorry. I apologize. Let me apologize on behalf of all of us. Thank you. For listening to you're, your words. You're, 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 you're welcome. It's intense. Why Enjoy the intent. That is true. How dare you use my words against me? Why don't you all right, first of all, the heck with you. You're, you're, you're cut off in a segment. Congressman Al. There's going to be blood all over the floor at the Republican National Committee after this election. No, but the question is what comes next? The, the fact that Paul Ryan is Speaker of the House was a fallback because what they come next in, after, after Rance Priebus. So, so the question is how do you know it doesn't get more conservative? After Mitt Romney lost, their postmortem was, by the way, we have to reach out, we have to broaden our base. What and I it was went saying, absolutely the other way. I wasn't, I wasn't saying it was just going to be Rance Priebus's blood. I think you're going to have 
you're going to find the ultra-right. They're going to move in and try and take over the party. The establishment's going to resist that uh, in a variety of ways. And I think there's, I think every kind of Republican is going to have blood but, in their hands. But, but I think Al wants to say there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor, yeah. and he doesn't know who's going to survive at the end. But here's the right. question, though, Alan Moore, is you have, you have fairly moderate uh, Republican governors, Charlie Baker in uh, Massachusetts, uh, the governor of Maryland, um, escape, escape Larry, Hogan. Larry Hogan. Uh, you, Nikki Haley is in complete, totally out in right field. A little bit conservative more than Baker and Hogan. But there are some, and then we have Kelly Ayotte in, in New Hampshire. There is a moderate sector that is starting to get more visibility. Could this be the catalyst that lets some of the maple syrup and Rocky Mountain Republicans come to fruition and reach into power? I, yeah, I can't even begin to predict how it could play out. We don't even know who might be available. Let's assume Trump and Pence lose, okay? Right. And that Pence comes out of it with, with his uh, reputation intact, more or less. Which I think is likely. So Pence might become a candidate to to take on to take on the RNC. I mean, I think there are different we, potential people who will be out there. We have a caller. We have a caller on the line. Caller from the six one two area code. You're on the air with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Yeah. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to get a quick understanding of from are, are you guys uh, liberals or conservative or what? What's your political view? Well, we're actually bipartisan. We have both Republicans and Democrats here around the table. I see. And so with that, um, would you guys agree with the assessment that basically this election is for is there for Trump to win, but he seems to continually get in his own way as far as, you know, like he had that momentum leading up to the debate, and then the debate followed by the, the weekend with his whole Twitter outbreak Seems to like he seems to cut himself out, cut himself off at the knees continually. You think that's accurate, or? Well, the the, the question is from the caller is, it, it, was this Trump's campaign to lose, and had he not shot himself in the foot with tweets and tax issues and women and minorities, could he have pulled this off and be successful at it? Alan Moore. Well, I, I think that I think the caller's onto an, an an idea here that that we all would recognize. This was a great potential year of opportunity for Republicans, because there was fatigue with Obama, fatigue with there's there's parallel fatigue with the Clintons. Sixty percent of the people think the country is on the wrong track. Uh, the Clinton candidacy is perceived as a continuation of the Obama eight years. And what a great opportunity for Republicans, for somebody who can come in and and be an agent of change, and yet who can make some sense. Well, Trump was able to tap into that change idea, but he also tapped into this anger and distress and fear that also exists out there. And in, in tapping into that with many, many injudicious things, from the early part of his candidacy, he's, he's, he's solidified some of the, the really disenchanted folks and turned off folks in the middle and to the, to the, the middle of, of Republican Party as well as the independents, which is why I think that, that all indications are that Republicans will have blown 
a fabulous opportunity to win this election. Dan we, we still have to see what happens. Dan well, and traditionally, after, for presidential uh, elections, on both the left and the right, the, the rule is you run more so on the Republican side, but on both sides. Uh, during the primaries, you run to the right, and then during the general, you run to the middle. Trump has thrown that math overboard entirely, has not even made a nod to the middle, let alone a run to the middle. Um, so there's just no evidence of that. So if he had done that, we'll never know because he hasn't gone there at all. Admiral Ken. I, I kind of disagree with that, tongue-in-cheek, because I heard him say to uh, black voters all over America, what have you got to lose? Oh, <laughs> Caller, thank you very much. Hope you keep listening, sir. Hope you're enjoying the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, John Allen, the, 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 the caller's idea even works post-primary is, all right, Trump was kind of a jerk, kind of a bully, but he also had 17 people he had to push his way through. Could he have changed it, pivoted right on day one, the second he got the nomination, made his acceptance speech logical, and moved on and still won and be appealing to independents? Absolutely. Yeah. I think even through, through the minute before the first debate, Donald Trump had a chance. I think, that, I think that there were people willing to give Donald Trump a chance in that first debate that will never, ever, ever, never give Donald Trump a chance again. I agree with that. Denise Krep, you were shaking your head no. You disagree. On the fence. But, I, you know, you're right. And it came down to I don't pay my taxes, and I don't like fat women. You're shaking your head. He no, doesn't, I mean, he doesn't like normal-sized women. He doesn't like a Miss Universe. Who, by the way, is now an American citizen who is going to vote. By the way, I would and, like by the way, very articulate, very intelligent, very successful. Now, what I object to about Miss Universe and all of the Miss Universes is that I believe my wife <laughs> is Miss Universe, and they should have some oh. other style oh. of her. You know what? Uh, Here's a guy who's got some trouble at home. And he's yeah. 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 You know what? He's got to explain why he was here last Tuesday. No, the question is why Alan was at my house last oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tens of people heard you say that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Thousands now. Thank you. We're on Blog Talk Radio again. All right, with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Hillary and her troubles and her really, really kahuna-sized wave that she's riding post-debate. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back in two and a half minutes. Stay with us. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's Backroom as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. 
That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be. Here live at Chili's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. For the best political talk show you've never heard of, it is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. A uh, little bit of a shift, Bob Hines returning from yonder. But uh, joining us right now, Kristen Hahn, Democratic political opera, former Spox for the Blue Dog Democrats. Kristen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is fantastic. We got, great. We're getting, like, credibility now. <laughs> wow, this is Actually, awesome. you know, I got to hold for the females. And, that's right. And ironically, yeah, absolutely. And ironically, we're going to talk Hillary Clinton. First of all, let's talk about the good and the bad and the ugly. Let's talk about the good. Hillary has come off a tremendous boost inside uh, the polling that we've seen, the major poll, CNN, ORC, Marist. Uh, some show her three points above. Some show her as high as five and six. Uh, Kristen, I'll give it over to you. Is when we look at the boost that Hillary's gotten, can she keep that momentum going? Prove to the fact that she's relatable and likable, and still dodge the landmines of Benghazi emails and everything else she has to deal with. Clinton Foundation. I think she absolutely can, and you know. She's got a good a good surrogate in, in her vice presidential candidate tonight. But um, you know, think about you know he's he's basically imploding. But you look at the 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 next debate down the road, it's going to be a format that's going to work for her. You know, so if she, if she got a bump off of the last debate, um, you know, the next one that's a town hall format, you have to speak directly to voters. You have to speak directly to the people. Um, it doesn't work for him. He likes speaking and you know in to big big large crowds of people who are already. Um, already committed. voting for him and already committed. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, in my mind, she's got nowhere to go but up uh, from, from this point. Jim Lipner, one would say, I, as somebody who's worked many campaigns, Hillary Clinton is not exactly the perfect candidate. In fact, she's not really a great candidate. How does Hillary Clinton keep this momentum up being the candidate that she is? Don't swing for the fences. Uh, at the moment, I mean, if I were advising her, I'd say keep it even and don't don't go for the long ball. There's no reason to. Every opportunity Trump campaign has had to screw it up, even most recently uh, speaking to vets this uh, last week, um, he has screwed it up. So let him keep doing it. I mean, the old adage of when your opponent's doing something wrong, let them keep going. Yeah. Admiral Karen, I, I agree with Dan, and I would add that, uh, and, and I'm a Republican, I'll admit it, uh, she she can't get own it. Be proud. I am owning it, baby. Um, she can't get into the name calling uh, 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 dirt dirt uh, mud fight with uh, with Donald Trump. And the main reason is she likes that, and she's not going to be as good at it as he is. He's been at it for a long time. She can't get into the the you know the the uh, in my community growing up we used to call it playing the dozens. She can't do it, and she she will lose voters because quite frankly nobody cares. We don't want to hear that. But you, Congressman Al, we saw her effectively in the debate, as we talked about last week. We saw her effectively stay out of the mud puddle. Uh, but is there almost an unrealized pressure or an unrealized expectation that somebody's going to say, hey, Hillary, you've got to fight back at some of this? I mean, from the audience? Or from the electorate, from her inside of her campaign? I don't think so. I don't think that there's anybody out there cheering for this campaign to get muddier than it already is. Uh, and I think that if, if she did that, she'd immediately pick up a lot of what the animosity so many of us have for Donald Trump. She'd pick up a, a hunk of that. I think she's got to she's got to take what he throws at her and handle it the way she did in the first yeah. debate. Uh, with some dignity and what have you, and short answers, and go from there. Dawn. Oh, I'm sorry, Kristen. I'm sorry, Kristen. <laughs> I'm saying she, she's handled it well, but you know, just one note. I agree with you, but on top of that, she needs to she needs to bring some of that out of him, right? So, I mean, she she baited him. He took the bait, and he ran with the story for a week. I mean, she right? didn't so, just I mean, bait him. She threw a I mean, bucket of chum I mean, in the water. The thing about me, she she released the ad about women, you know, these, these beautiful little girls looking at, you know, and that happened directly before she went on television, baited him in that debate, and then he ran with the story basically for at least, you know, for five days, so. Well, and that's the thing, I mean, that was the biggest punch she threw at the debate, she threw it late in the game. She was a, a Hail Mary when she was already up. If it didn't, if she didn't complete the pass, if Trump had simply said, I was running Miss Universe pageant, I don't think that's necessarily necessarily appropriate to bring up in a presidential debate. It's a different thing. This is the presidency of the United States. That story would have just vanished instantly. But, but Trump is incapable of, of doing that, which is what's so amazing about it. Like that's, that's an easy pivot he could have done. Alan Moore. Yeah, so I, I think that, that, that she went right up to the limit in the first debate on how much time of hers she wanted to spend talking about Trump. He took the bait every time. He took it on taxes. He took it on Alicia Machado, obviously. In my mind, what she now has to do 
in the next debate. It'll be different, as was pointed out. It's a, it's a town hall meeting, and pre-screened questions will be asked by citizens who will be called by name. They will stand up. They will read the, their question. But the candidates don't know what these questions are. Only the, the, the moderators will know what the questions are that will come. And there will be this sort of duty to speak back to that person. And we'll see. Hillary's very good at that. Secretary Clinton's very good at that. We'll see if Trump can do that at all. But I think that will help control the narrative a little bit. I think that she does not want to spend all of her time relitigating all of the stuff that Trump has done to himself. And we'll expect that to come in the course of the questions from the forum. She needs to, to, to get millennials. She needs to increase turnout among African-Americans, all these groups that favor her. Um, and she needs to talk about things they care about, which is not Donald Trump's latest craziness. That matters to a lot of people. Those people are pretty much locked in. She needs to have something to say to people who are fearful about the direction of the country the direction of their families, the direction of their communities, and give them something to vote for rather than just to vote against. Dan Lindner? Well, there are two parts to that, and it's similar to the, the different issues that each candidate has. Now, Donald Trump actually has done the town hall forum thing in the past, and I just watched the, where the PTSD thing came up since uh, I wanted to see exactly how the quote came out. And, and Some people come back strong, others have PTSD. That's not his direct quote, but that's right, more or less. And but traditionally, how Donald Trump handles these kind of things is he panders to whoever is asking the question. And in a debate format, it's a little bit different because somebody else is there to speak and call you out on it immediately. Now Hillary's issue is a little bit different, and because she's not controlling the questions, and this is now the I put it more in the category of the. George Herbert Walker Bush, Bill Clinton town hall at Perot was in it as well. And where George Herbert Walker Bush at one point was asked about the deficit, how it, how it affected him. And his response was, are you saying a person of means can't possibly understand what it is to deal with the, with the debt? Wrong answer. Where Bill Clinton stepped into the question and responded, well, this is what it means for housing prices and people looking to get loans and the government is borrowing all this money. And it's took it in a completely different direction. Unfortunately, Hillary isn't built. So she's, she has a slightly different issue there. But, but Trump's issue is going to be how does he pander to the person in front of him and deal with the hit that's going to come immediately after. But, but Kristen, Hunt, I, I, the question I have for you is, is there, there, there's something missing here. Hillary Clinton, no question accomplished. Seated senator, former first lady, former Secretary of State, arguably successful, uh, First Lady of Arkansas, successful attorney, attorney, human rights person. The one thing that, the one challenge that Hillary has, or the two, is she likable? Can she be relatable? How does she overcome that challenge? People see her and they go, I can't, she doesn't relate to me. How does she fix that? I mean, it's an issue she's always had, right? I mean, anybody who's met her, anybody who's interacted with her in, in person, you know, I mean, they all come away with the same, the same way of feeling about her. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, she she cares about me, she cares about the voters, you know, but she can't she can't talk, she can't talk to everybody individually. So, you know, how does she how does she do that? Congressman now, but 
this format is going to come as close as she's likely to get in the campaign right. to set up that kind of a situation. Right. She will be able to talk to an individual in answering the question. And if she does what she usually does, this will look ready-made for her. Right, but I mean, I also don't think, I'm not sure if we're asking the right questions here, because because it, she's running against Donald Trump, and anybody who's running against anybody, with I mean, not even that many faults, that many faults, you really have to hone in and figure out what do people dislike about him. So it's, it's more about, honestly, what people but there, dislike but, about but, him. But arguably, there's a large I mean, gap of undecided voters could literally tilt either way, where they could say, you know what? She got me. She does relate to my problems. She does relate to the issues. I mean, again, she's not Bill Clinton. We don't expect her to come in a town hall format and hug a person, but she has. I can with, yeah, yeah, but it also but it also <laughs> looks like a Saturday Night Live. What will Trump do if she walks up and hugs him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear Alan Moore's comments on that. Yeah. 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 Make it, make Again, the George Herbert Walker Bush, who is eating pork rinds and saying he loved country music, which you could look at him and know those things just weren't true. And voters get it. He did that at Andover. <laughs> so when you, when you try to produce something that you're not, it's just not going to work. And what Hillary Clinton wins on clearly by every poll ever taken this election is somebody who actually fulfills the role of the president. You could actually see them in that role. Donald Trump failed and failed catastrophically, even with his own supporters on that question. Why would you continue to mess with that by trying to come up with a campaign stunt for the town hall? I would. She doesn't need to do it. If if she gets it, that's great. Becoming less likable, that wouldn't do any any favors. But if she just manages to maintain the status quo, she wins. Alan Moore. Yeah, I think she's past trying to reinvent herself. What I think she hopes for, especially in this format is the, the national television equivalent of a one-on-one conversation. And that's the beauty of the format. Um, a single individual gets up with a question. She can look at that person. And the person might even say, my name is uh, Susan Smith. And she'll say, thank you, Susan, for that question. And she can relate one-on-one. She had a brilliant moment. It was either today or yesterday. A 15-year-old girl in a, in a public forum got up and said, I'm a 15-year-old. Most of the girls in my school worry a whole bunch about, about body image and, and shape, and there's bullying that goes on. And Donald Trump said this, what can you say? And Hillary gave a brilliant response about the importance of respecting people and of, of, of helping girls as well as boys, but this is not an all lives matter. This is help girls believe that what they are on the inside and who they are as people is the most important thing. And we need to find ways that girls can feel 
good about themselves and can grow and fulfill their their lifetime objectives. John. She can she may have a chance to have sort of one on one moments like that where she is very good. Can she do it? Wait, wait, here's the question. It depends can, on the questions, depends on who the people Can are. she do it and not look like Kate? McKinnon's character on Saturday Night Live. Well, you, I mean, I mean, they basically. Have you ever seen her with little girls? You know, I mean, these little kids that come up and these, you know, what happened recently, right? Just come here, you know. This, you know, the case, immigrant. It was. She can do that. There is a little. It. You know, it's like. You know, she, she does. Kate McKinnon does a does a terrific job. I have a big. I have a major complaint with the Saturday Night Live skit. Which I enjoyed enormously. Okay, the skit China used the skit China. That is the skit used Trump's words most of the time. Yeah, the skit did not use Hillary Clinton's words most of the time. It used what character her, what her perceived thoughts were, and that was it. Was like we need to make this balanced and even and fair, and I thought it was a little unfair to who to Hillary Clinton. To 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 use Trump's words to let to let him dig his own grave, but then to assume they knew what Hillary was thinking, which I thought was not equal treatment. Oh, I thought it was. I thought it, I, if anything, it kind of made me kind of happy. I'm going for Hillary, watching her go, watching Kate McKinnon go. Uh, Secretary Clinton, you have two minutes to go. No, you can give it to him. I was like, Believe me, I laughed as hard as anybody at the skit, but I just, on reflection, I watched it a second time, and I thought, you know, it's interesting. There, in order to keep it even, and the, her words just didn't provide enough fodder. Oh, but I see the question. Does, does the Kate McKinnon character hurt Hillary? I think Kate McKinnon has done a valuable service to Hillary Clinton. How? In two ways. Number one, it was such a bad Hillary Clinton originally. And I don't mean she did a poor job of, uh, of imitating her. I mean, she was the ruthless, ugly, strategic slash calculating Hillary Clinton, so much to the point that it made the real Hillary Clinton look softer by comparison. <laughs> and then over time, Not this, easy to over do. time that character has evolved into funny, witty, Still smart and strategic slash calculating, yeah. and and that has been a huge service to Hillary Clinton. And I don't think Kate yeah, McKinnon, when she started doing that character, was much of a fan of Hillary Clinton. And it seems to me that she has become much more comfortable with the Hillary Clinton character in a positive way. I think she's she, she did a skit on Saturday Night Live with Kate McKinnon, the bar. Yeah, oh, I think that helped. Uh, and right. the fact that she could laugh at herself helped. But I think. You know, Saturday Night Live does an incredible job of getting into the popular culture ideas about our candidates that stick. Sarah Palin never said she could see Russia from her house. <laughs> Tina Fey said it on Saturday Night Live. Gerald Ford tripping downstairs was something that stayed with the American public Thanks as, un- as unfair as it was. Jimmy Carter talking a guy off of an LSD trip. <laughs> I think you're taking some gorgeous sunshine. You sound like Bill Clinton. You sound like Bill Clinton. Wait, wait, wait. You don't think Bill Clinton did Jimmy Carter as a Southern governor? All right, let's talk. The next thing is kind of worth kind of going further down that road. I mean, The Onion has done a long, long-running parody of Joe Biden. The Joe Biden after hours, the wild 
crazy guy who's like on the nightclub scene. And while it's, it, and anyone who knows Joe Biden knows that is just not him. But so at a certain point, it is the it's the humor, and then going back and looking. This is what makes this person. You've obviously, never hit. seen Joe Biden in the club car on the Acela train. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you something. Rave party. Um, let's talk about the bad. Joe doesn't drink. That's, I know, I, I, that's the joke. So let's talk about the bad right now. Uh, Hillary has got an issue right now. Bill Clinton bashing Obamacare. How does you're you're waving it off, Dan? You don't think this is a thing? It's, it's not a thing. If anything, it helps. I mean, at the moment, while Obamacare, by the numbers, is arguably successful, I'm sure Alan can respond to that almost instantaneously. By the numbers, as far as how people really feel about it, people blame Obamacare for all the health care problems that are occurring right now, in spite of the fact they were significantly worse prior to Obamacare. So the idea of hopping on the bandwagon and saying we have to fix this is a known commodity. Even Obama says there are things that need to be fixed in Obamacare. There's no downside to her being saying. Things. She knows she's going to have to. Well, Everyone she, knows she's going to have to. Yeah. She's setting herself up for you know for being able to negotiate and on. A I think he called. We got. He didn't use the word crazy. It was a crazy structure. Crazy. Crazy something. something. We got to yeah. call her. Caller from the 612 area code. You're on with backroom politics. What's your question? Yes, I just wanted to say, and I want to, I want to just the the liberal um, people on the panel here. I just want to ask you a question. Why is it that we've we've allowed an ideology that is actually against America's best interest to gain so much traction in this country? What what is that ideology that's against America's interest? This this neoliberal socialist concept that's just grown more and more. I, I, I don't understand why Americans are adopting this, this philosophy, even though it goes against everything that this country stands for. Caller, can you give us an example? Well, I'll give you, okay, for example, in most universities and high schools in this country, you have a, a, a book that's being circulated widely. It's Howard Zinn's A People's History of America. And it's a book that basically is historical revisionism of America's history to try to make America look like this great evil thing and try to make capitalism look like this terrible system. More and more Americans are adopting that. John Allen, take that. Caller, I'm just curious. Do you think that the Democratic Party of today is more liberal than the Democratic Party of Paul Wellstone? You're calling from Minneapolis of Paul Wellstone, of Walter Mondale, of Hubert Humphrey? Absolutely. I think in the last 10 to 15 years, the Democratic Party went from what I considered just social causes, which is what all of us are, should be for, and then they shifted to this this neo-socialist concept, trying to like almost copy systems we see in Europe, which is I don't understand wasn't, why people want to adopt that. Wasn't socialism defeated in the Democratic primary? Well, not really, because if you look at what Hillary's policies are, she's basically shifted more to the left because of Bernie Sanders. Well, let me, let, let, caller, let me ask you this question going off of what John Allen's comment was. I mean, arguably, you're, you're talking about Bernie Sanders, who was for free education, free social services, increasing government services to the American citizens, very arguably socialistic, and Hillary, who has traditionally been very hawkish on national security, who's been uh, fairly conservative on our economic values, uh, you don't think that you think that they're one and the same that they both serve socialistic policies up? 
Absolutely. They just have a different means of going about it. I mean, Bernie Sanders is much more aggressive, but Hillary and even Obama to that degree are much more subtle, and that's why they're a lot more clever. They go about it in a much more smart way than he did. I mean, Bernie was just coming flat out. He didn't hide it. He said on the record, I'm a democratic socialist. But Obama and Clinton, though, they do it in subtle ways, and this is what the whole Affordable Care Act was. That was the first step towards pushing the country towards that direction, which is trying to nationalize health care, even though it's been a colossal yeah. disaster. But still, it's a step in that direction. Alan Moore. Yeah, so uh, without digging into into Obamacare and 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 how and how and all the early mistakes made there to decide to leave Republicans out of the conversation, which has haunted any health reforms ever since. What I what I think the the the, the caller makes a point about the on the one hand the growth of government and the increased spending on social programs, but what the caller is forgetting is at the same time. We've increased the role and scope of government. We, we have tried to reduce and, and constrain taxes and continue to spend more on, uh, on defense, um, issues often more associated with Republicans and the conservative side, not exclusively. What the, the, the gap between those two is we, we've decided we're going to do all of this. We're going to cut taxes. We're going to spend more on defense, and we're going to spend more on social services, some of the Democrats want to spend even more and, and then raise taxes. And the Republicans are saying, you can't raise taxes. And the, the way we pay for a, a guns and butter approach is through deficits that are massive and unsustainable. And I have to say that neither Democrats or Republicans are talking very seriously about getting serious about this trajectory we're on of spending way more than we're willing to pay for and, and creating a sort of a, of a, of a economic doomsday scenario where we run the risk of massive inflation when suddenly no one will loan us money anymore. We're better off than most countries in the world so we can still borrow, but we cannot rely on that. And we know that Social programs, the big drivers of spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, to some extent Obamacare, and, and other large income redistribution programs are going, to, are, are going to limit more and more and more our ability to do the other things we need to do. Christian Hahn. So I'm gonna, going back to the tax and entitlement reform debate, I'm going to take it back to the political side right. because I think it has implications for – the presidential and for all the down ballot uh, races that are going on. Anybody who's run, you know, races, Republican and Democratic side, you know, when I was with the Blue Dogs, we put together a letter, had 60 Democrats on there saying straight up they'd be okay with uh, entitlement reform and 40 Republicans saying, saying they'd be okay with tax reform. You know what happened to that letter? It died immediately because the NRCC threatened to go after the Democrats on that letter and the DCCC said we're going to go straight after the Republicans on that letter. So the political realities of delving deep into these issues and being real about these issues is very difficult, and I think it manifests It's a political third rail. No, and it manifests itself in the presidential, because you have Hillary, who clearly has more depth on these issues. Just look at her website. If you're just going by what, what, what you can find online, has more depth on these issues than Donald Trump does. But people don't want to spend the time to look into these issues and really understand them. They've gone to their corners. Even the millennials, even people in the center aren't really spending a lot of time looking at the actual issues. 
and that's where she's strong. And so that doesn't play into her, into her, into her strength. Right. Well, Dan Lipner, hey, can we just go back to the, the caller's question indirectly? Uh, the People's History of America by Howard Zinn. What school district has this as mandated reading any place in the country? And can you name one? Oh, yeah. Almost every major uni- public university in the United States has this as mandatory reading, Most especially public, in almost all political science classes. What school district? Name one that has it on, on, the, on the mandatory reading list for any high school or junior high student, which is what the book is, would be targeted toward, or a high school, or even a college. What, where is this mandated? Well, reading? in colleges, it's, it's all over. For example, here in my state where I'm from, University of Minnesota. So it's fine comp. That it's, doesn't mean it's being, it being available doesn't mean it's being mandated. No, it is. It, it, is being, it is being mandated. For example, in a lot of political science classes that I took when I was at the U of M, this was something that was mainly discussed in great detail, and this was positions that were adopted by most of the professors agreed almost uniformly with Powerton's positions across the board. And anyone who disagreed was almost vilified in most of the political science classes that we took. So uh, to act as if that Howard Zinn's book hasn't had a massive impact in the, in the, in the education and uh, many of our students' you know, impression of the United States, that's ridiculous. Of course it has. And it's went hand in hand. But to the point of the, the car brought up about taxes, let's, let's address how the Democrats shell game when it comes to taxes. They, they take advantage of the general populace's complete um, lack of understanding of our tax code. They promise to raise taxes on the quote-unquote 1% in you know, major corporations, all the while knowing that these very same people are their main backers and supporters, both of the Democrats and Republicans. Anyone who knows D.C. knows that, that the special interest groups have taken over all politicians and all both sides. And so they'll raise these taxes, but they know that at the same time they're going to pass deductions and loopholes to allow these same groups to avoid having to pay that. And who ends up actually getting hurt by these tax rates? It ends up being people in the middle class and small businesses who can't afford the high-level accountants and attorneys you need to take advantage of the loopholes and deductions that are brought in place. Right. That's Call the game we, they play, caller, but people aren't up, aware of that. Caller, we're, co- we're coming up on a time constraint. We appreciate call. Please keep listening. appreciate your input. Um, Real quickly, wanna, before we get to the break, I want to stick on Hillary for a second. Um, the the ugliness of the landmine that is the emails cannot go away, and it continues to it continues to really really hinder the campaign uh, as far as messaging, clearing that hurdle. John Allen, is is this the ultimate hurdle for Hillary campaign? Hillary's campaign to message around or at least put it to bed? I think the ultimate hurdle for Hillary Clinton's campaign is is Hillary Clinton. I mean, ultimately, it's how does she handle the series of scandals and pseudo-scandals that have dogged this campaign? I would say any Democratic candidate serving after two terms of another Democratic candidate walks in uh, to a presidential race with a little bit of uh, a little bit of an obstacle to start, much like a Republican would in the same way, uh, and I I still believe to this day, uh, no matter how much Hillary Clinton tries to make this a referendum on Donald Trump, it is a referendum on her. Right, but Alan Moore, he, he, you know, we bring up the Clinton Foundation as being another hurdle for uh, Camp Hillary, but it seems to me that the New York Attorney General gave the Hillary camp a little bit of a Christmas gift in October by ordering that the Trump Foundation stop all fundraising immediately 
because of a possible investigation being conducted by the New York Attorney General. Does this cancel out the Clinton Foundation? They're two very different things. Um, it is interesting that that a the Trump Foundation, which is a very, very small foundation that, that, that he has not contributed to for years, and only a handful of friends have contributed modest amounts of money to. It doesn't do very much. But, but it's the <laughs> best foundation. <laughs> but, but the Trump Foundation does paint an ugly picture. So, 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 so it, it, it's, I find it interesting that after all these questions have been out there for months and circulated, that one month before the election, the attorney general decides <laughs> to suspend their ability to uh, fundraise to, to fundraise until they get properly registered. Gee, I don't sense any politics there. I'm shocked. Now, shocked there's, now, there's gambling in this establishment. Now, now <laughs> having, having said that, there's a report out today that that uh, that John Allen mentioned earlier that supposedly this uh, this hacker entity Guccifer, which is supposedly a Romanian Israel or linked to the to the Russians somehow has hacked into the Clinton Foundation and released thousands of documents. I don't know what's in there. The Clinton Foundation actually does some good work. And it, it's some, a and, some? It, and it's some a lot of good work. But it's it's I know a lot about the Clinton Foundation actually and, and have worked alongside them on some work. Their problem is they they take credit for more than they do. Right after the Clinton Foundation play-to-pay uh, uh, scandal came out, that big donors would call Hillary's people and ask for a meeting with Hillary Clinton or inclusion in this meeting or that meeting, um, in in arguable violent direct violation of the spirit, if not the word, of the arm's length of relationship that they had promised to have when uh, when Secretary Clinton became the the the, the Secretary of State. You had Jim Carville and 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 some other all political types talking about all of the HIV drugs that Clinton was that the Clinton Foundation was providing to people, and if you harm the foundation, these people aren't going to get their drugs. Actually, the Clinton Foundation provides no HIV drugs to anyone. We can go into that in detail, but they it's like we couldn't just leave well enough alone and talk about the work they do on HIV, which is good work. It's just not giving drugs. And 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 but no, they had to overclaim and exaggerate. Well we're gonna find out about the Clinton let, Foundation in the next go, day or two let me go to these documents. Kristen Hunt, I just the Clinton Foundation versus Trump Foundation, if that's what we're going to call it. They make really good paintings of Donald Trump. They do, and they they really help him out with his legal bills. Like, I mean, like, this is just one more example of how she is held to a different standard than he is. Are we are we sitting around asking asking if people are gonna if he's if he's likable enough, right? I mean, we're asking that of her. Is she likable? Why isn't she likable? It's unbelievable. Admiral Ken, so. I, I wrote about this on our, our uh, on our web page, and, and the, the, this comes out of the fact that I, I speak on a regular basis to a lot of Trump supporters. As a matter of fact, I speak to more Trump supporters than I do Clinton supporters. Shame on Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Congressman, if you, only, if you only tune into stuff you want to hear, you've got a problem. So the, the thing that I would, I would say is that what amazes me about all this is that for most of the, the Trump supporters, 
I hear I hear this comment. At least she's not corrupt. Well, you know, I throw rocks at that. Um, Donald Trump, I, I think last week said that uh, one, of, one of the reports said that the man lies every 90 seconds or so. Um, he has not contributed to a foundation uh, that he established in 2008 since 2009. He's using that money illegally uh, to pay for his legal fees. Allegedly. 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 Uh, and, and, and then I no, think. No, no, there's a couple not allegedly. Allegedly. And then, and then uh, I guess last week he even came out with a claim that even Hillary was faithful to, you know, to, uh, to her husband. <laughs> Completely you know, out of bounds. But the, the, point, the point that I'm, that I'm making here is that. We think, you know, we, uh, there's, there's an opinion that we think Hillary Clinton is is is, uh, is dishonest and corrupt. We know Donald Trump is by by his own actions and his own words. And that that dynamic has just not. Uh, I, I it blows me away on a daily basis. You know, you know what's really you know what's really funny is is that there, there are so many there are so many things we can talk about Donald Trump is. I, I I have to go back to the stuff we did cover about Donald Trump because I think. We covered just about everything with Hillary. I mean, Donald Trump had a horrible week with the fact that now he's got an accusation that he did uh, money into Cuba, which violates federal law. And Iran. And, and, and the Iranian bank issue at Trump Plaza, also illegal. Uh, you've got the veteran situation with PTSD. You've got all these different situations. And you got Mike Pence that's got to go on the stage at 9 o'clock tonight, Congressman Al, and try and unscrew this out of the wall, is this even possible? Well, I, I, I'm no. glad I'm not my Pence, uh, but it does, <laughs> it, it does occur, occur to me that Donald Trump's series of strange things that he's done in the last week has completely obliterated focus on, on, on the Clinton Foundation. You're not hearing much about that, primarily because we're all talking about the latest idiotic thing that Trump has done. He is stepping on the the, the he is stepping on and driving out of the news the things that could probably be negative for Hillary Clinton. But, but, but she's that, vulnerable. On. She is, yeah, she is vulnerable. On, but but again, here's what my question. Donald Trump goes and meets with veterans organizations as big as the American Legion, as small as the veterans group that he met with the other yesterday in Herndon, Virginia, which is here in Northern Virginia. And he says stuff that wouldn't, me as a veteran, I'm sure you as a veteran, you say PTSD is weak people. He did not say that. now wait a minute. He did not say that. We cannot mischaracterize oh, no, no, no. his words. No, 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 no. Let me because let me characterize. Some people aren't as strong. I know when exactly what I said. That, are you guessing that I don't know what I'm talking about? No, I'm but I am, do. No, no, no. But no, no. But Alan, I will tell you right now that the fact that he would sit there and even make the insinuation that people coming back from war are weak if they come back with PTSD, which is it. it it didn't, that may not have been his intent, but that is exactly the words that were put out there with the Let me tell you why some of the Trump supporters are so angry at elites in the media. Thank you. If you listen to the entire exchange that he had with a veteran in a group 
with, uh, in a crowd filled with veterans where he's trying to be sympathetic to the PTSD problem and, and trashing the VA and saying you're not doing your job. He was very clumsy with his selection of words. Then the media picks up and says, oh, he says you're weak if you have PTSD or only if you're strong can you go through this stuff and come out of it. It's not, it, it, it's so clear when you look at that exchange that that was not his intent. Was his, were his words clear? They were not. But what happens with the media is then they jump on that and say, oh my God, this guy is unsympathetic to people with PTSD who've gone through all of this. He was trying in his stumbling, ineffective, inarticulate way to be sympathetic he's to them. Running, he is running for president. Of course he is. He is running for president and is running for commander in chief. When you talk about a sensitive issue like PTSD in the veterans community, you don't stumble. You think of your worlds. I stumble on my words every week on We've this noticed. show. We've noticed. Breathe. But he, Breathe. He, he stumbles on just about every subject he takes on. All I'm saying is when his followers hear that anger and hear what they consider to be a misrepresentation of what he was trying to say. I actually agree with Alan. So let me follow up. I, Real so quick. A, after, after, after the clip made noise, I went back and sat through the entirety of that town hall that, that, that Trump did. And it, I actually do think the, the hit on Trump was a little unfair as far as I do believe he stumbled, stumbled inappropriate, wildly inappropriately. But by the way, that wasn't one of the worst things that he said when he was actually being thoughtful earlier in the exchanges. He was talking about the the U.S. military not being the strongest on the planet. Things that are just demonstrably wrong. This guy's talking about replacing admirals and generals. So the fact that the the media goes goes for whatever the simplest argument is, is true. But it's true on both sides. Much Much of the issues that Hillary is dealing with is... Similarly, because it's going for the simplest route having, for a soundbite that is misused. Congressman Al. Having run in eight elections in which I was quoted sometimes accurately, most generally not, this is, this is what politicians face. I mean, this is not unusual. And I'm not going to shed any tears over Donald Trump. He's getting treated with the same vitriol. No, this, the, the same effort on the part of the media to balance. No, wait a second. Hold on, 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 Kristen first. This is what I'm saying. Like, he is being held to an entirely different standard than she is. Is much lower. Why? Think about because if if she, I mean, because because we assume he's going to say crazy things. You know, we don't assume that she's going to say crazy things. So. You know, no matter whether it's about women, whatever, we hold him into a very low standard and we make excuses and his supporters make excuses, I think. And I'm not specifically talking about this comment, but I'm saying if she were to say any number of things that he has said, or if Jeb Bush had said any number of things that he has said, we'd be like, he's, he's, there's no way this man can be friendly. Evidence in point, her what does it matter line from the congressional hearing from the Benghazi thing. The what does it matter line in context was an exasperation at the nonsense that was gone after when Americans died. The what does it matter wasn't that 
what does it matter that Americans died? It was what does it matter these issues that you're going after when this larger issue is the elephant in the room? That's what the fight was. And it's John Allen. on both sides, and it's nonsense. John Allen, now close your eyes and imagine that the person who says the people, some people come back strong and others come back with PTSD, imagine that said with a female voice, a woman in her late 60s who used to be Secretary of State. Imagine what the reaction would have been to Hillary Clinton saying that. I can guarantee you it would have been a lot worse than the reaction Donald Trump is getting. Absolutely. But, but, he, but here's well, the thing is, though. No, 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 no. I, where, I will, where I will go with this is any Secretary of State in that situation, whether it's Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, George Schultz, George Schultz goes up there and says, what does this matter? gets the exact same treatment that Hillary Clinton does in that situation, in that venue, under those circumstances. And by the way, and, but, but let's go back to history a little bit. General Patton went after a soldier who was shell-shocked. No, 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 I'm serious. If, if we want to use history in all, all this, by the way, Patton, not exactly an unrenowned voice here. He went after a soldier who was, was he actually... Slapped, he slapped and, what, and, and what happened he slapped to Patton? Patton? Yeah. No, he, he, relieved, he, he was relieved of command. He was relieved of command. Yeah. So in, in that same context, yeah, Donald Trump is getting exactly what he deserves, if that's how you want to balance it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alan Moore? No, I, I mean, well, I think we've, we've covered it. I think, yeah. I think we've, we've, we're going to take a quick break. Alan and I are going to hug and make up. Alan and I are going to hug, kiss, and make up. Hug it out. Uh, hug we're going to hug it out. And when we come back, we'll close out with Tell Me a Story. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fat shaming me, Congressman? Are you really calling just me? trying to get the Trump speech. Why not just call me a hundred pound hacker on a bed? No, no, he's saying he wants you to be Miss Universe. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> and the rest of the show will be brought to you by Alicia Machado. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. Tell me a story. This is background politics. Stay with us. I have to say this morning. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be.
Backroom Politics. And we're back here at Chili's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, last 15 minutes of the show, it means it's time for my favorite part of the show. It's Tell Me a Story, where we talk about news, innuendo, scoops, stuff we didn't cover during the show. Bob Hines, tell me a story. Well, that's a pass this day. Wow, you're, you're passing a lot lately. Is somebody who is... is can you tell us what's wrong with Ohio? Why are they supporting Trump? <laughs> Even he can't do that. Congressman Al, tell me a story. This is your favorite part of the show. <laughs> it's not mine. It's my show, my moderation. I like it. You can do it. Okay. Admiral Ken, tell me a story. Last Monday, Vice Admiral Robin Braun um, retired after 37 years of service with some note here is that uh, she's the first female uh, service chief. She was the, uh, the chief of the Navy Reserve. Uh, great ceremony out at the Washington Navy Yard. She was re, uh, uh, replaced or uh, turned over to my good friend, Vice Admiral Luke McCollum. Uh, I want to say congratulations to uh, Vice Admiral Braun on a great, uh, great run. Uh, she's going back to her old job at FedEx flying packages for us all. And uh, Luke, God bless you, son. You'll know what you got yourself into. Good luck. There we go. Uh, Alan Moore, tell me a story. So my guess is we haven't seen the end of, uh, of purloined Donald Trump tax returns. Um, uh, we, we learned that, that 1995, uh, <laughs> he reported losses of a million dollars. <laughs> That's double or in Mexico. A mere nine hundred and fifteen million dollars. Uh, in one in, in nine fifteen and change. In one year, um, and and uh, it's kind of a staggering number, and a, and a lot of questions grow out of it, and a lot of like bizarre reporting came out of it because people are now saying, and then he didn't pay any taxes for the next twenty years. We don't know what he did in any of the subsequent years to that. The, 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 the tax laws are pretty clear. If you lose a lot of money in, a, in, a, in some kind of enterprise, whether it's a real estate business or, or agriculture, farming, whatever, if you have a huge loss in one year, then you, that, that, that swamps any income you had in that year uh, that might or might not have been – that wouldn't have been related to that loss, you can – you can write it off for, for that year, two years earlier, and 15 years later. So people are suddenly saying, hey, he could write off $50 million in, in, in earnings for, for a total of 18 years. Yeah. He could also write, he could also offset it against 915 and change million the very next year. Um, or he could not have 916 million over 15 years and have unused uh, uh, losses that he could sell to a third party. These are the way the tax clause work. His problem is that he is not willing to talk about what actually happened. Now, in talking about it, he tried to claim his brilliance. And, and Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie said, he's a genius. He's a genius. These total sellouts, we trashed Giuliani last week, and this is one more chance to say, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani what are you possibly talking about, especially when he said poor people take advantage of the tax laws, too, and don't pay any taxes? Wow, what a shocker. <laughs> Prompting Stephen Colbert to say the homeless have figured out 
a very good way to avoid paying property taxes. The whole, so, let me get this straight. Bottom line here is, bottom line here is Alan Moore. So the washing machine box under the overpass on 14th Street Bridge is actually a tax shelter. It, it, it can be. It's a tax shelter it, and a physical shelter. Wow. That's that's, that's a best of all worlds. And in the Trump administration, he will do away with that tax shelter. <laughs> Congressman Al? And it seems to me that if he were to pay his taxes, he could build a whole heck of a lot of that wall. That <laughs> actually, there's some truth. That actually might be something to look at. Well, we don't what would $915 million we'll, get us on the South? Yeah, that would score the wall. Four hundred million dollars so not that much. Nah, that's true. Four fifty. Kristen, do you have a story? Tell us a story. I have a story. It's just, you know, it's, it's more like down home. So I'm from I'm from Texas, and my mom called me last week, and uh, she lives in a small town, hill country in Texas, and she's a lifelong Democrat, has a Hillary Clinton sign in her yard, and she says, well, Kristen, you know, I have a, you know, I have a Hillary sign in my yard. How often yeah. does she have to replace it? <laughs> <laughs> she has a whole bunch of them. She uses, no bullets. Yeah, no bullet holes. No, yeah. no, no, she wakes up every morning and puts it in, and then wakes up the next morning. She has her own gun. So, by the way, that, we did. She did not say that state of Texas Department of Natural Resources. Oh, I did not say that. Sorry, she's shooting down from the roof of her house. It's totally legal. True story. They call me, and my mom makes these great oatmeal cookies. And I smiled a little. I mean, it was like what made you feel better when you're sick. And a bunch of her friends at church were all decided they wanted to come over and have a meeting at her house. So she's so excited. She made all these oatmeal cookies, oatmeal raisin cookies for everybody. And she realized they were having an intervention with her. <laughs> and she said, you know what? She made her own cookie for her own intervention. She did for her own intervention. And they're so mad at her. And, you know, they said, you really need to take down this sign. You really need to look at Trump. That she, um, she said, don't worry, Kristen. I slowly got up. And every time I went to the kitchen... I took my cookies back and like saved them for next weekend. That is probably one of the best tell me a stories we've had in a long time. John Allen, top that one. Tell me a story. Yeah, I can't top that. That's pretty good. Here's a prediction. Wow. Saturday Night Live, cold open. What is it? Kate McKinnon and Sherry O'Terry playing Hillary Clinton and Marla Maples. Clinking champagne glasses over the belief of Donald Trump's taxes. (laughs) You know what? I got to give her credit. It was pretty, pretty gutsy for her to put Trump Plaza's address on the return mail. I don't know that it was her, but I do know that she has one, the means, and And two, two, the motive. And three, (laughs) and by the way, and three, the address that was on the corner of the envelope that ended up at the New York Times. Dan Lipner, tell me a story. Well, for all the talk about uh, athletes in the news, uh, uh, most famously recently, prior to what's happened this last week with Colin Kaepernick's Black Lives uh, Matter protest, um, we've now seen something we haven't seen since Muhammad Ali. LeBron James has cut an ad in favor of Hillary Clinton. And this is noteworthy because we have not seen an athlete at his pinnacle Active, active in politics, arguably since Muhammad Ali, and so much so that it really does beg the question of what's coming. I mean, famously, Michael Jordan, when he was at similar heights, responded when somebody asked him why he doesn't get involved in politics, he said, and I'm quoting here, Republicans buy sneakers too. 
So this was actually a very different move, and kudos for LeBron for coming out for Hillary. Yeah, very good. So, uh, in case you missed it, 20 states over the past 48 to 72 hours have been cyber attacked uh, in their election database systems and their service that allows all election information. The question now that the, that the Department of Homeland Security is looking into, as well as state officials in the elections and law enforcement, is the question, are the 20 states that were hacked blue states? Talked to a couple of sources inside some red states. They said, nope, we're not one of those 20. We're still waiting to hear back from blue states, and it looks like it might have been a blue state attack on the electoral servers that has all the elections information. This is a thing. This is, it, it, that, especially taking a step further with the electronic voting machines that are out there that, I mean, I know a little bit about here, from the 2000 here's, election. Here's the concern. There, there's a thing there. No, no, but here's the concern that every state has right now is that if they do penetrate the system, just one state, it might give Donald Trump the ammo to say, you see, the election was corrupted. I should have won, but how do you know that your election information wasn't hacked? That is chutzpah. It is chutzpah to uh, ask hackers to hack into our election system and defeat our democracy and then turn around and say that the system has been destroyed. That is the ultimate. If anybody ever wants a a definition of chutzpah, Didn't he already already ask and invite Russia to do the same thing? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. All right. Um, with that, on behalf of Maybe you can see Russia from from his from Trump Tower. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? All right, Dan. Yeah, they, they all can't be home runs, Dan. They all can't be home runs. On behalf of Shecky Green, Congressman Al Swift, Admiral Ken Caradine. Alan Moore, special thanks to Kristen Arn for joining us. Well, you have to come back and join us more often. Oh, this is awesome. Where else can you smoke and drink wine? I know. And talk political. God. Our regular contributor, John Allen, will be on Sidewire tonight, I hope. On Sidewire tonight. Sweet. We'll be we'll be doing that. And oh yeah, I already introduced you, Shecky. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week, although I am flying to Florida tomorrow morning. I'm probably the only idiot flying into the hurricane area. So hopefully we you'll, will be back. You probably have multiple seats on the plane. I, I'll have an entire plane. Apparently. Uh, we will be back. I don't know if I'll be back, but we will be back next week live from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bob? The place to be. Absolutely. You can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. You can follow us on our Twitter feed, at Backroom Politics, Facebook, dot com slash backroom politics or you can email your fan mail and comments and concerns justin at backroompolitics.org and you can also follow us on sidewire our partners at sidewire we love them thank you Justin. or you can knock on justin's door his address is 1331 f street in the heart of our nation's capital oddly enough i spend more time here than i do at my own house we'll see you next week america have a great week bye-bye This is Backroom Politics.